she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. And I'm Jonathan. And the tennis season is over. Hooray, hurrah, tears. I don't think there are many tears being shed amongst tennis fans right now. I think, no. I, I think everybody's pretty much ready for a break. Yeah, and we get about a seven-day break until the next season. Until IPTL, because Mr. Federer is coming out of his sickbed to go play <laughs> tennis again. And Serena, too, apparently. Apparently. I saw her uh, shooting something for Wilson, so she had to be on a tennis court for that. But she's being paid. So it makes sense then that given that the tennis season is over and everybody's looking for a bit of a break, that this is going to be one of our busiest periods of the year, right? right? <laughs> well, we kind of have to catch up. So it was your idea to, to, to do um, a few different wrap-up episodes. Mm -hmm. Because in the past, and with other podcasts, and we've done it too, you end up getting, oh, player of the year, let's do all these awards and look back at the season through these arbitrary and cliched categories. Mm. And I feel like a season like 2016, which was a bonanza of ridiculousness. A bonanza? <laughs> deserves, not even that it deserves, but we'd be best served using a fine-tooth comb to go over it. Oh, that's why the first installment will be four hours long. Who knows? We haven't started recording yet. <laughs> it may very well be. Well, my expiration date is much shorter than that. I think what might happen is that you may throw the headphones against the wall and march upstairs to decapitate that family. All of them. <laughs> because now it sounds like they're riding horses upstairs. Anyway, let's just get into it. So what we're going to do... This is going to be part one of three, obviously. The first two are going to go through the tennis season January through November, split in half. So this one will cover January up until the French Open. And then we'll pick up from the French Open to the end of the year in the next one. And then the final installment will have a more thematic look back at the mm -hmm. 2016 season with more of our regular segments. You'll probably be doing a quiz or two. Which you do enjoy, right? Yeah. Are you saying it won't be cliched and formulaic? Because I, I feel like that was kind of shady. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will definitely have some of those elements, but we'll mm. try and make it. We'll, we'll try and make it feel more planned. Okay. But don't don't be like and more unique to the body surf. Yes. Don't be like starting that bus engine and running me over right now. <laughs> Speaking of one of the oldest cliches in the book. Mm. So I'm going to lead with the WTA side of things and you're going to take hold of the ATP, mm -hmm. which surprised me because I gave you your choice of what you wanted to do. And you're like, I'll do ATP. It's like, what? Say what? I don't know. I just found it more interesting as I was going over the, the notes. Mm. And all these notes were taken from my weekly feature this week in tennis. So if you find that you've enjoyed this these two episodes, it's 
taken straight from that and maybe that's a good promotion for you to then follow along on a weekly basis you know because mm -hmm. maybe it's useful wink wink <laughs> so january tennis is starting brisbane victoria azarenka beats angelique kerber in the final and then in auckland sloane stevens beats yulia gerges mm -hmm. and <laughs> That was the start of what we thought by March was this return to the absolute top of women's tennis for Vika. And she was just going to storm through the season by March, right? She seemed like she was on the giddy up. Well, I didn't, but you, ev literally everyone else did. Yeah, you were always uh, a bit, I was going to say reprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> apprehensive a little about skeptical mm -hmm. and you can go through the old episodes in case you think i'm just making it up and you swing back and forth with vika and it always your ebbs and flows always line up with how well she's playing if she's playing too well you hate her if she's not doing that well you're like oh you know vika's kind of funny mm -hmm. oh i you know yeah, that, i don't remember why i don't like her that's fair <laughs> but then in this final as well you had kerber who was coming off a solid season in 2015, was trying to put the the horror show of Singapore behind her, and right off the bat she gets to a final. Loses fairly easily to Vika, but this was, looking back, a pretty big start for what would be a massive year for her. And then Sloane, who was pretty much an afterthought at this point in women's tennis, she had that injury that cut her year short, but by Charleston she had won three titles, and having won her first last year seemed like she was picking up some steam even though she wasn't getting the big results at the big tournaments she still won in auckland to start the year she won in acapulco and then in, in charleston mm -hmm. so things were looking up for her and you were becoming a, a sloan ranger at one uh, point too. You i were. wouldn't go that far yes you was i was i don't that's such a stupid <laughs> moniker for her fans yeah just sorry but I was an enthusiastic about Sloan, that I will not lie about that. And at one point in the season, she and Vika were the title leaders. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a reverse of the Sloan style in that uh, she was doing okay at majors and winning smaller tournaments, which when she was younger, she was getting to the late stages of majors and barely reaching finals. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, too, in Brisbane, Santina won their first tournament of the year. They would go on to blitz through early February, win four, t four tournaments by the first week of February. And that looked like it was going to be an impregnable duo, right? right? Mm. And we saw, much like the, the themes that we're going to talk about in the first few months, the things that we thought about tennis in the first few months were just completely turned on its head mm. by the end of the year. Like, I think of what our last couple episodes when we're talking about Singapore and London and how we're framing men's and women's tennis right now. And then I'm going back and doing this research. And I'm like, wow, like, A, this happened in 2016. And B, I we, we think of what's happened so differently. Damn near nothing that we expected to happen based on the early results ended up happening. No, that's definitely one of the themes as I was looking through the results from the earlier part of the year, much of which I forgot. Yes, And me much too. I, I know that we covered, and I sort of forget what we said about it. Some of it I was like, that was this year? Right. 
But I think it shows that in tennis, uh, like a calendar year season is not really a cohesive unit. Because for so many of these players, it doesn't really add up to one narrative. Mm-hmm. You can't say that uh, Azarenka had a great year or a bad year because it was... I mean, her situation is unique, but it's not like there's a real arc for a lot of these players. We're not going to spoil what happened to Azarenka, right? We don't want to give any yeah. spoilers because <laughs> I don't think it happened yet as up, as up to the, the French Open. <laughs> it. So do we... Well, it may have happened. Do we leave that for part two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the big reveal? You know those, those pregnancy tests? You just was... gave it away. <laughs> So Vika's win, it was her first WTA title since Cincinnati 2013. Bouchard also made her return to tour in Shenzhen after missing time slash suing the WTA after her fall at the US Open in 2015. She had made a few halted comebacks in the fall last year, Mm -hmm. but kept having recurrences of concussion-like symptoms. So she came back, won two matches in Shenzhen over in Sydney, Kuznetsova beat Monica Puig, which when I look, I totally forgot about this, that this happened. I knew that Sveta had won a tournament early in the season, Mm -hmm. but then no idea or recollection that it was against Monica Puig. And, (laughs) yeah, you know, reporting about it in January. Yep, Sveta, she's going to go on to end the year top 10. And Monica Puig (laughs) is going to go and win an Olympic gold medal. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Because Kuznetsova has sort of helicoptered in before mm-hmm. and uh, and won a title here and there and just not really followed up on it. And we know her pedigree. Mm-hmm. So for her to win a tournament or a semi-big tournament, no big deal. Like any day of the week, if you say she beats Serena's like, okay. Right. I get it. But she could also lose to the 100th ranked player and you wouldn't be surprised yeah. either. But this year was a different story. So Bouchard won those f- those first two matches in Shenzhen. Then she goes to Hobart, loses in the final to Alize Cornet. And so that's like four or five matches in January that she's won. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good for her. At that point, it seemed like maybe she was on the way back. You know how on Instagram, under the search function, it gives you like all these photos that you might like based mm-hmm. on your likes? Eugenie Bouchard is always always in mine and i'm like why you do eat a lot of fried chicken but not frozen boneless (laughs) fried chicken which is what she is shilling why yeah i don't get it it's offensive i don't have answers for you (laughs) instagram get it together so that takes us up to the australian open on the woman's side what was going on on the men's side so on the men's side djokovic looked to continue his dominant streak He met Nadal in his first tournament of the year in Doha, beat him. Easily. Easily, as their rivalry had been going up to that point. Well, has been going, progressive (laughs) tense. (laughs) And uh, there was really no inkling of what was to come in the second half of the year for Djokovic. I mean, we were in a position where haters were hoping that a champagne cork would derail his chances. Are you talking about yourself? Um, sure. Yeah, I was just <laughs> speaking in the third person. He did person. have that trophy situation, right? Where he did try and open the champagne yeah. and did oh, yeah. pop in his face. 
And we were so desperate because he was so dominant at the time. So no, it's no longer you. It's it's we, we plural. Right. Are you throwing me into this? No. Okay. Me and all of the other haters. <laughs> <laughs> you can or you can be in it if you want. Okay. And in Brisbane, Raonic was beating Federer in the final. Or Raonic, if you're oh Darren God. Cahill. I'm going to continue to say Raonic. <laughs> because I, I just... I'm dumbfounded by that. And you know what? This is one of the early results that was like, okay, Milos is going to end the year number three. Good start. <laughs> so Milos started at 14, finishes at three. Federer, who started at three, finishes at number 16 in the rankings. Yeah. So there's a nice little uh, crossing of paths. You know, Federer going in the wrong direction and Milos going up and up. I will have you know for the record that Federer's ranking is entirely to do with his injury situations absolutely do you want to depict it as some kind of decrepitude that's going on no and he probably wisely chose to sit out most of the year to recover and hopefully extend his career well the the talk was that he came back too soon the first time around yes was part of his problem and i was shocked with how little time he was taking off for what seemed like would be kind of a long Mm -hmm. recovery so with the Doha title, Djokovic had made at least the final of every tournament in the previous calendar year. So non-Novak fans, I'll say, <laughs> were in a pretty uh, precarious situation. And at the time, it really seemed that there was nothing standing in his way of winning the non-calendar year Grand Slam and possibly, like I said last time, winning six in a row. Wrap your head around that for a little bit. I think what had happened was (laughs) in Doha 2015, he had lost early. I don't recall. To Ivo Karlovic, I think. Yes. Some big server he lost. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, he had made every final. And so once he won Doha, that Karlovic loss was, you know, dropped off his rankings. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a 52-week period with only finals and better. That's fucking crazy it's it's crazy it has to be one of the best if not the best stretches in tennis i had to double check it because it made it doesn't make sense to read it <laughs> no dominic team started the year with a semifinal in brisbane coming off a pretty strong end of 2015 and looked to be kind of going up and up and up he made a bunch of semifinals he made six finals on the year and took four titles from that that's this year. This year. He would go on right. to do that. Including his first Grand Slam semifinal at the French. Which is where he made his hay from February through, like, say, June. That's where he did a lot of his damage. Right. Looking back and putting the notes together for this episode, I came across, because in the This Week in Tennis, there's an on the web section where, you know, articles that are written during that particular week, I post some of them or link to them. And one of them caught my eye because it said, and it's written uh, by somebody from the Sydney Morning Herald, tennis bad boys play good boys, colon, Tomic, Kyrgios, now older, wiser. (laughs) What a crock of shit. (laughs) Talk about counting your chickens before they hatch. Right? So we get to the Australian Open, and this is where 2016 really starts to mess with you. Right, because Serena comes in with some injury concerns, yet she blitzes through her first few matches, 
She has to play Sharapova in the quarterfinals. Gets through that with typical ease. <laughs> mm-hmm. Little did we know that that would be a very important match to look back on in a couple months. Well, we right? didn't know that she had taken some illegal vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> she popped a few extra before the Serena match. And you know what? It it really just didn't help. Well, I may have gotten her an extra game or two. We don't Maybe know. Maybe because... When I saw her win that one game, I was like, here she comes. <laughs> Expert level. <laughs> Serena Shade interjection there. So then another quarterfinal match in the women's draw was Kerber against Azarenko. Here we go again. These two. These two. And they would go on to play a couple more times before the incident that took Vika off tour. Mm-hmm. Uh But coming into that match, Vika being the player of higher stature, she had just beaten her in Brisbane. Vika looked like she was, you know, ready to be number two again. We're always looking for this, who is going to be Serena's number two. Right. And it looked like Vika was coming back to snatch that crown. Kerber gets by her. And this is Kerber who had saved match point in her opening match. And so when you consider that Kerber saves match point in her first match at the Australian Open, beats Vika in the quarterfinals in a match that most people probably didn't expect her to win, then goes all the way to the final and then beats Serena and wins her first slam. This is how 2016 starts. The, <laughs> it's it's incredible to think what could have been. Just the... The millions of different events that happen in a tennis tournament that can change the course of someone's career. Yeah. It, imagine if Azarenka had gotten to that final. Would she have won her third Australian Open? Or would Serena have been more prepared to, pl- to play against a baseliner? Would Serena be winning her 22nd major a little bit early? Would it have changed the tenor of her season? Would it have made Azarenka think twice about doing that thing that she did. (laughs) Maybe it would have made her do it even quicker. Because we think that it was beating Serena in Miami, that in Indian Wells, Mm -hmm. I think it was, that precipitated this event. Oh, the celebration. So if she did beat her in Australia, then the event could have happened even (laughs) earlier. But now we have Kerber, who brought her best game to Serena in the final, won her first major, now has two majors. Azarenka also has two majors, has been at number one for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Azarenka has also been at number one. I mean, she's building a career to rival this woman that she lost to in Brisbane and who she beat in Australia. All in the span of a couple months. Uh, <laughs> the perspective on their both their careers right. is totally different. And consider that Kerber one would think, would have had some doubts after failing to win that one set in Singapore Mm -hmm. in 2015 and then to come and lose first round in Australia in a match that she should win. How different would would her psyche be the rest of the way? Anyway. That's a lot of what-ifs. A lot. Hingis and Mirza won the Australian Open. I mean... As we said, looked unstoppable. Looked like they would play together until Martina retired, or Mm -hmm. one of them retired. Mm -hmm. 
Viznina and Suarez beat Vandewey and Takao in for the mixed doubles title. And listen, Suarez was also a men's doubles titleist in Australia with Jamie Murray. The both winning their first Grand Slams in men's doubles. That's what they came together for. Like mm-hmm. They both had lost doubles finals with other partners. They left their previous partners, came together, and right off the bat. On the men's side, it was a slightly more predictable as far as the winner. Djokovic beat Murray yet again in the final in straight sets. At that point, is there anything more predictable than that result in men's tennis? Right. January 2016, Novak, Mari, Australian Open, and, and Novak wins. wins. Yeah. <laughs> so at the beginning of the season, it looked that Andy Murray was yet again in Novak's shadow. And it was hard to tell toward the beginning if that script was going to get rewritten. The thing that I thought at the time, too, along the lines of what you were saying, it was hard to tell how some of these top guys were really playing. Because they'd, and specifically Nadal, he'd blitz through a few matches and then he comes up against Djokovic and then gets blitzed himself. So how much is it Djokovic playing at such an optimal level as opposed to those guys not bringing it Hmm. in those matches? So I don't think we were ever really able to get a full grip on just how well Murray was playing as the number two. For me, at least. Okay. So one of the losing semifinalists was Milos Raonic, reaching another slam semi. And he led Murray two sets to one before losing in five sets. The injury bug got him. Mm. And he's been dealing with these nagging injuries a lot. And he's had back spasms, and he pulled out of some tournaments this year. He's a lost big, to he's, some people he shouldn't have. He's a big dude. Right. But to finish the year at number three, nursing these injuries is impressive. But listen, I didn't really remember this part. He lost to Murray six times this year. So we have Australia. There's Monte Carlo, Queens, Wimbledon, Cincinnati, World Tour Finals had the misfortune of playing Andy Murray in all of those tournaments and losing. And He came close a couple times. He did. And on the other hand, it is encouraging you're getting to those stages because Andy was the number two seed or the number one seed in all of those tournaments. So you're reaching later stages. The thing about Milos is that, and you mocked him for having so many people in his camp, well, mm-hmm. he has one fewer in his camp now because he and Carlos Moy have split okay. amicably. Uh, But he's been making incremental improvements for the last couple years. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat in January, he was playing better, added the net game, was much noticeably much better from the ground, from the baseline. He's worked on his backhand a lot. And so more power to him. For me, the big takeaway from the men's side of the Australian Open is that now this is just a long, unpleasant anxious march to Djokovic's first Roland Garros title because it was certainly not pleasant for him. It was very tense. He seemed very unhappy, but uh, it was all in the service of creating this legacy for himself. The added layer to that is that we'd been through this march before and it hadn't happened. We had. At least a couple times we'd done this before. But this time he was holding three Grand Slam titles. Yes. 
but it was, are you actually going to do it? Mm-hmm. There was that subtext to it. Right. It wasn't, you can't say it was a foregone conclusion. No, 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 no. It was very tense for him because so many people were saying, well, if you don't do it now. Well, that's to come. The calendar turns to February. The women kick it off with Fed Cup. In the first round, the Czech Republic almost lose to Romania. Kvitova loses twice. And Pliskova has to win three matches to advance the team. (laughs) And this is a team that goes on to win again, yet again. Right. Three in a row and five of six. And to think it very well might not have even happened had Pliskova not turned in that performance. It's true. And Petra Kvitova has been such a staple in Fed Cup and so reliable that I get, you know, she's allowed a bad tie every once in a while. And luckily, her country has a lot of people to back her up if she doesn't play so well. The amazing part about the Czech team is, yes, they have depth, but they don't outside of Kvitova for, you know, how dominant they've been the last few years. You wouldn't think that they are the team that's going to dominate year in, year out. That's true. And, but in Fed Cup, it's a bit different because Italy dominated for, uh, for mm-hmm. a few years. I think they won either three or four Fed Cup titles in a short period. And at the time, they had no Grand Slam winners. Later, they had Schiavone and Panetta each winning one. They had Irani serve. Yeah, which was another handicap. <laughs> you also have to factor into, I guess, that the Fed Cup schedule happens at times of the year when it's undesirable for top players to go play. So if you have a lot of players on your team that are in the, say, 20 to 40 range in the rankings, and they bleed the colors of their flag, that's an advantage. Venus wins her 49th title, this coming after an abominable January. (laughs) She loses her first match of the year trying to defend in Auckland to Daria Kazetkina, who, of course, little did we know then, would go on to be a top 30 player, pretty much. She loses first round of the Australian Open to Joe Kanto. Of course, I mean, we knew that she was on the come up because she was mm-hmm. up to like the 40s at that point and had played Venus tough the year before in the fall. But she gets Kanto right off the bat, which is a crazy bad draw for her in the first round of the Australian Open. Loses there, then flies <laughs> to Kaohsiung and wins. A new tournament in Taiwan, I think it is, mm-hmm. and gets that 49th title. She beats Misaki Doi 6-4-6-2. Who almost beat uh, Angelique Kerber in the first round of the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I totally forgot that Kaohsiung was this year. Yes. That was one of those things I couldn't believe happened this year. Because in January, Venus was out there crowning these girls, giving them her blessings to become the next big thing. <laughs> you know? Bencic makes the St. Petersburg final and cracks the top 10 for the first time. That felt like forever ago to me. because It did, because it was something of an anticlimax. Yeah, because I remember lots of people, myself included, I may have even written it in This Week in Tennis, that this feels permanent, that Bencic is going to be in the top 10 for mm. a long time. And that long time turned out to be like a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> She's young. In Doha, Carlos Suarez Navarro beat 
Yelena Ostapenko. And then in Acapulco, we talked about Sloane Stevens' second title. She beat Sibolkova 6-4-4-6-7-6. And there is the first sighting of Dominica and a, a precursor of what's to come. Because, spoiler alert, she's your WTA Finals champion. Mm-hmm. But for that week, Sloane was sombrero queen. Something else that happened in February, I have it referred to as that week in February, because all manner of crazy shit happened, and this will have some overlap between the two tours. In Dubai, the top eight seeds all lost their first match in the WTA event, Mm -hmm. which then saw Sarah Irani go on to win. Because that's what 2016 is. That week, there were five singles titleists across both tours. All five were unseated. You had Kyrgios winning his first ATP tour title in Marseille. Schiavone, back in the winner's circle, cracking the top 100 again. Pablo Cuevas, he wins, beating five lefties in a row. Just one of those crazy stats. Including? Including Rafael Nadal, and that's in Rio. Del Potro makes his return to the tour, which will loom very large over non-ranking point events Mm -hmm. for the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) But was able to win three matches, Mm -hmm. lost to, guess who? Someone who will figure very big in the second part of the season, Sam Querrey. Yep. And so that week, if you look at it, there's, there's just a lot going on. There is a lot. And February seems like kind of a downtime in tennis, but... My God. Then Federer hurt his knee. Mm-hmm. And you have written here a bit of speculation about how exactly he hurt his knee, because I can't really remember. We heard the story about the the drawing a bath, but then there was also him talking about walking in a park with the kids, right? The point is it happened innocuously. It wasn't athletics related. Right. And... It was the first time he'd really had to deal with this kind of thing. Federer having an operation, what? Right. Because he had struggled with some back things, but in his... Spasms and such. Federerian, Federer-esque years, he really had, like, no hints of injury. And if he did, they were kept very, very quiet. His ligaments are just more elastic than everybody else's. I guess they are. But there was a uh, Serena-like quality to this injury because its provenance was mysterious. No, Federer was not up in no club <laughs> with no broken Heineken bottle. Okay? Yeah, I'm still, but I think many of us are still skeptical that that story is even the true story. There was just a lot yeah, of... but with Serena, the the banal story is probably the least believable, right? <laughs> with Serena-like crazy shit... Just happens. This is true. Also in February, Taylor Fritz reaches his first final in Memphis. Won again by Nishikori, who I hope is taking guitar lessons. <laughs> it's just like the the blues king of Japan. Right. Sharapova wins all these Porsches from Stuttgart. He's winning guitars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dominic Team wins his first title of this year in Buenos Aires, including a very... Uh, electrifying win over Rafael Nadal. The thing about February is people are playing all over the place. You have tournaments in the U.S., tournaments in South America, tournaments in the Middle East. 
coming off the first Grand Slam and spending the entire month down under in Australia and New Zealand, you then decide where you're going to go, mm-hmm. I guess. There's really no rhyme or reason to the schedule or the surface in February. People are playing on clay and on hard courts. Acapulco switched from clay to hard court, which confounded me, to be honest. Then we get to sunny March with the, the sunshine doubles, which I had no idea what that term was. Until, Thank you. Thank you. Until this year, because to be frank, not many people had done it before. <laughs> So maybe that's why we didn't know, but mm. we had three different, well, two singles players achieve the Sunshine Double, winning Indian Wells and Miami. And then we had a doubles team who did it as well. And so when you have it happen three times at one event in Miami, it's I guess it makes sense that it becomes more newsworthy. But I for sure had never heard of it before. But then, before we get to that, the biggest see what ha- happened was of the year was when Miss Sharapova calls a press conference to announce quote-unquote major news and discloses on that podium in that drab outfit on that drab podium with that drab conference <laughs> furniture <laughs> and, and don't that forget the drab carpet <laughs> That she had tested positive for meldonium in Australia. And that she had, we come to find out, popped exactly 75 pills before she played Sher- <laughs> before she played Serena in that quarterfinal. Exactly 75? Exactly 75. That's, oh my goodness. Her mm-hmm. stomach must be a mess. I got it from Breitbart. <laughs> we don't need to get into... This is not about talking about that incident. Uh rehashing it as some would like to say dragging her again mm-hmm. as fun as it is <laughs> that's i look back at the numbers that's our most listened to episode of the year i think <laughs> <laughs> uh you can go back listen to those receipts and see what we had to say we don't really want to talk about it anymore but it happened so we're talk. we have to mention it here because in the midst of all that people were still playing tennis mm-hmm Oh, and just we didn't even talk about the the match fixing in January at the Australian Open. Like that's oh, one God. of the that feels just like kid stuff, right? Now. Like so minor at this point. But it was one of those initial stories that was like, okay, like what's going on? Tennis. Oh, remember? Right now, I mean, tennis had lost its innocence. <laughs> Chris Everett was so shocked and scandalized, and then all this shit happened, and then. We elected Donald Trump as president. I mean, we didn't, but it feels some like of y'all did. <laughs> that's a natural conclusion after what happened in tennis, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like January in tennis feels like um, just the calm before this shit storm. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Bouchard continued her resurgence, making another final this time in Kuala Lumpur, losing to Svitolina whose name will rear its head later on at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But again, in that final, Bouchard experiences concussion-like symptoms. And so you're left thinking, well, we are no big Bouchard sympathizers or lovers. But you were like, well, Dan, can this this woman get a break? Yeah. No, there's no making light of that. It's just really, it's unfortunate. One of my favorite stories from 2016, Venus's return to Indian Wells. 
did not end well because she lost, as she did so many times in 2016, especially in the first half of the year, in her first match. But she penned this really emotional letter, do you remember, in mm -hmm. the Players' Tribune to Serena? Yes. Uh, talking about her process in choosing to come back. And it, it showed us a side of Venus who is very buttoned up and keeps things close to the chest. A side of her that we hadn't really seen before. After winning the Australian Open, Angelique Kerber uh, won a match or two in Fed Cup. And then she lost her first match in a couple of events. There was a lot of chitter-chatter as to whether she was having a post-slam. <laughs> chitter-chatter? <laughs> What's wrong with chitter-chatter? <laughs> I feel like you added a few syllables there. <laughs> there was anyway, a lot of, I, I like it. There was a lot of chitter-chatter mm -hmm. uh, about whether she was having a post-slam slump. And then she gets to Indian Wells and she loses early again. And it honestly, for some people, it looked to have the, the feel of these typical post-slam letdowns. Mm -hmm. But she really flipped that shit. So now we're looking at it in March and we're wondering, well, is this it? Is this the peak for Kerber? What is she going to come with? Like, do we expect her to maybe just win two smaller tournaments for the rest of the year and then it feels kind of out of place mm. that she's a Grand Slam champion? And let me tell you, after she went and met with Miss Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi in the Nevada desert and had a hit or two, and then she came back prepared <laughs> for she the rest of the year. She just got her life. Right? In that Indian Wells final, like I'd said before, Azarenka beat Serena 6-4, 6-4. Azarenka returns to the top 10 for the first time since August 2014. And she's now the only player to beat Serena four times in WTA finals, which also seemed crazy to me. That's like, amazing. Did Venus only do it three times? <laughs> 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 That's what I'm left wondering. Mm -hmm. Sharapova falls out of the top 10, and that's Indian Wells. Vika's won another title. That's two on the year now. She joins Sloan <laughs> as WTA leader, and she looks well on her way. Miami happens, and would you know, the tour then skips across the country, the United States, to Miami, and Vika wins again, beating Kuznetsova 6-3, 6-2 completing the so-called sunshine double she now jumps three spots to number five and has three titles on the year and i remember distinctly at this point with a gap between number one and vika at number five in terms of ranking points with serena that it felt for a lot of people inevitable that vika would be the year at number one and i, I think i recall i was one of those people who felt like, you know, this this just feels like it's going to happen. And you were, from the start, you were like, y'all need to simmer down. Mm -hmm. And You had no idea pregnancy was coming, so don't even come with that. No, You don't get no. to hang your hat. That was not what I would have predicted for the year. But I was a skeptic. But there were a lot of commentators who were saying, Vika could get number one this summer. That she was... A favorite for some of the upcoming slams it was just it was too much it you know they're always looking for serena's next great rival and vika has been a great rival to serena intermittently she has two semi-classic u.s open finals i love when vika and serena are competing at that level together i love watching it despite how stressful it is but 
And I have to say, Vika's performances at those tournaments were shocking. Two straight set wins in finals. But, I mean, we, we just needed to dial back the hype a little bit. Stick a pin. <laughs> I forgot to mention that Peng Shui made her comeback in Indian Wells. Oh. At the time, she was ranked 768. <laughs> and now, at year's end, she's back in the top 100 including having won her first title mm-hmm. of, the, of her career, which was another shocker for me. Like, girl, <laughs> you've never won a tournament before? Vika becomes the third woman behind Steffi Graf and Kim Kleisters to win the Sunshine Double. Kerber, after having gotten some Zen magic from Steffi and Andre, comes back and makes the semis in Miami and loses to Vika. Vika then gets a bit of revenge for that Australian Open quarterfinal. And at that point, this was shaping up to be maybe the big rivalry of the year. Who knew? Mm -hmm. Because we'd had three big-time clashes at that point. Brisbane final, Australian Open final, and then now Miami semi. And that that was that. What happened on the men's side in uh, March? Well, we had another... Doublest. How do you say that? <laughs> a, a sunny double. Sunny doublest. Honestly, let's skip through Indian Wells Miami quickly because I'm actually not that into those tournaments at all. I'm not really on the Indian Wells train one bit. I don't question the wisdom of Serena and Venus going back, but I'm not really a fan in general. Yeah, we, we know these are known facts okay, fine. on your part. We're talking about so, the men here. Stick to script. Djokovic <laughs> just dusted Rayonic in the final of Indian Wells. There was some... 6-2-6 six, six love. Uh, yeah. There were some fairly crappy comments by the president of some shit. I don't even remember what Raymond Moore is. The president of the... Indian Wells Club mm-hmm. or something. He's some some old white dude who's done a lot for tennis, and it's so unfortunate that he's had this one slip. Mm. Whatever asking, he was asking women to get on their knees and be thankful to the men. Uh, I mean, <laughs> gross. Serena Williams called it distasteful. Mm-hmm. Whatever he was, he's not anymore <laughs> because he was forced to resign, basically. But Djokovic echoed some pretty crappy comments as well. Mm-hmm. This bullshit about entertainment value and. I don't know, maybe he vacations with Stakovsky or, or goes to night school with him or something. Because he's very learned. Did you know that, Stakovsky? He's erudite as fuck. You are throwing... You don't get full shade points because you're not being forthcoming about who you're throwing that shade at. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But okay. You know what I really want to talk about in March on the men's side? No, is, but back to the Raymond Moore thing. Oh. I was being a little bit glib about it. But this is what tennis does, right? Somebody steps out of line and then the establishment, they encircle them. Mm. And they're like, oh, no, oh, no. They, they really, she didn't mean to pop all those pills. <laughs> you know, can you just like give her a six month uh, house arrest? oh my god this is this is like the Raymond Moore thing. Oh, but I've been friends with him for so long. It's the Whoopi Goldberg, mm. Mel Gibson defense. Oh, oh, god. <laughs> At a certain point. Which was originally the Ted Danson Mm -hmm. defense. Like, you know these people personally, but this person is in a very prominent job. They're being paid, right? Mm. They have a responsibility to, 
you always people always talk about athletes having the responsibility to the fans. These executives have a fucking responsibility to the fans, to the sponsors, to the players. And so because you may have this personal relationship with these people, uh, I don't know if it was Billie Jean King or somebody who, you know, these tempered responses. Mm. I get you don't want to participate in this outrage culture of social media and press in 2016 and just totally cut somebody down for one mistake, if it's one mistake. But I have to believe if you're going to go and have this press event where you tell the WTA players at a joint event, one of the few big joint events on the tour, Mm -hmm. and you know that equal prize money is a really big issue in tennis, you're going to then say those words in that way. Like that, that is unacceptable and unforgivable. It is. You can keep your friendships and your relationships, but you do not get to keep that job. No. And, you know, it is possible to call out your friends for saying things you don't agree with Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't end your friendship. And it it may take a lot of courage, a lot of fortitude, but you will show integrity if you publicly critique what that person said, even if you're friends. And this tournament is trying to position itself as the most important non-Grand Slam of the year. The oasis in the desert. I just don't think it has. But what I really want to talk about in March is this Davis Cup craziness. Because I actually don't even remember if we talked about it on the podcast. Do you? We must have, right? It must have had. It must have been a see what happened was. Mm -hmm. Well, this is. It's gonna. We don't. We don't want to get into it too much because this is going to be part of a segment in the third year end. Oh, we're going to have a segment that's called "Messy as Fuck." Well. This then, is messy. Yeah, it certainly qualifies. But you can tell them what happened because it did happen. Mm-hmm. Well, no, maybe I'll save it. You're going to save it? Mm-hmm. not even going to mention it a little bit? Give us a few names. It had to do with, you know, those people who are getting older and wiser and more well-behaved. Yes. So there is a dash of Leighton Hewitt, a dollop of Nick Kyrgios, and a heaping... Pancake. ...ladle <laughs> of... Bernard Tomic. Oh my god. And you know what I actually really want to mention, because I'm not sure we talked about this enough, is the passing of Bud Collins. Yes. Because he was such a major force in tennis, in kind of the glory days of tennis. There, There are very few journalists who are so identifiable with a particular sport. Like, Bud Collins is tennis. And even if you're not a big tennis fan, you probably still know Bud Collins. Mm. Much in the same way, but in a much douchier way, that you identify Don Cherry with hockey. Because of the flamboyant outfits, and Mm. then Craig Sager with basketball, maybe. But Bud Collins was more than just the visuals. He was the guy who wrote... The tennis encyclopedia. Like, we have that thing in our living room. It's like 600 pages long. Back before the internet really took hold of statistics, Mm. that was the Bible that you'd go to. And somebody who was universally respected within the game. And he had a a particular writing style that is pretty inimitable. Uh, Yet accessible. the, The kind of famous first line of that tennis encyclopedia is... 
either the ball goes over the net or it doesn't. <laughs> Which is just... Like, that's what tennis is. It distills everything from this game that we sort of uh, inject so much into. But he was someone who loved this game so much. He considered himself kind of a hacker. But he did... Uh, he won, what, the U.S. indoors in mixed doubles... He had some success as a tennis player. Some. Not a, not as a major <laughs> singles player. But he played professionally. And he also went to my sister's alma mater, uh, Baldwin Wallace College in oh, Maria, really? Ohio. Did Does he? she know that? Yeah. He Like we know that I don't know. We know that Rod Serling went to Ithaca. We mm-hmm. we both went to Ithaca for undergrad. Rod Serling, there's David Boreanaz, Ricky Lake. You know, we know the <laughs> the big names. How could yeah. she not know Bud Collins? Well, maybe she does. Hmm. And You'll have to ask at Christmas. Yeah. After the major disrespect of NBC canceling, or well, not renewing his contract in 2007, he finally was honored by the USTA and got the press room named Remake, after yeah. him, right? So rest in peace, Bud Collins. We owe a lot to you as tennis commentators in 2016. So older brother Jamie Murray got to the number one ranking in doubles in Miami. As I mentioned, Djokovic won the the double, beating Kei Shikori in the final. And our other Sunshine double-ists were Herbera and Mahu in doubles. Not so much successful for Andy Murray, however. This is one of the things that I've I keep coming back to. This was Murray's worst stretch of the year. I mean, he had very few low moments, right? Mm -hmm. But you could maybe point to this as the time when having won only one match in Indian Wells in Miami, he says, well, maybe I need to make a change, a coaching change. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is where the breakup with Amelie takes root or becomes more of a reality, right? Right. Because this is not like him. (laughs) He was squarely the number two second best player in the world at this point. April starts with Sloane Stephens winning the third title of of her year in Charleston. Ties Vika for most on the WTA tour. Uh, Sibolkova wins her first title in two years in Katowice. 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 I was just looking back at uh, the episode page for the podcast where we talked about this. And somebody had gotten in touch with us and I hadn't seen it. They had written, I guess it's linked to Facebook mm. commenting. And they had said, you know, oh, our pronunciation was impeccable. <laughs> or, oh, wasn't or it something Agnes? Like no, it was somebody else. Oh. This is something we definitely hadn't seen. So I made sure to respond to them last night. Oh. All these months later. Well, that was nice because we had to look it up because I really don't like pronouncing things wrong. And I had no idea. Dummies win. Further evidence of things to come. She ends the year with winning the most titles on the WTA Tour. Kerber defends her title in Stuttgart. This after making the semifinal in Miami and Charleston. Uh, Again, I point to success coming from hitting with Steffi and Andre. (laughs) Because I think that that's the most logical and makes me feel really good. Okay. Well, maybe she, you know, noticed that Maria was out and she wanted her Porsche. 
She wanted a Porsche for herself. She already had one. She defended in Stuttgart. Well, she wanted another damn Porsche. <laughs> now, Tonka, we talked about how things aren't for us like they are for Serena Williams, so we shouldn't expect normalcy or having normal reasons for things happening in mm. our lives. Okay. Because in April, Serena is named the Laureate Sportswoman of the Year. And in the same week, she appears on HSN to sell her wares. <laughs> <laughs> various blouses and uh, pants. <laughs> blouse and skirt? <laughs> yeah, blouse and skirt. Uh, she debuts alongside Beyonce in the story video from Beyonce's Lemonade mm-hmm. album. I feel like I've heard of that. Hmm. And this all happened in one week. One week. You just dominate Be- sporting culture. Because when you're Serena... And you're not even playing tennis that week. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> For the men in April, this was really Rafael Nadal's month, his comeback. And the clay season can feel a little bit disjointed when Nadal is not dominating. Because it was that way for so many years. But he won his first Masters title since 2014 by beating Gael Monfils in the final of Monte Carlo. It felt like a long time coming. And then he won again in Barcelona, which I suppose you could call his home tournament. Kind of the closest big one to where he grew up. And at that point, he was number two in the race to London. He would have qualified for London had he decided to not shut down his year eventually. Right. But at that point, Rafa was on an uptick, a serious uptick. It was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like it's not crazy to think that he could win the French Open, you know, uh, an iffy, nervy Djokovic trying to get to the career Grand Slam, that first French Open title. Rafa feeling himself mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on Philippe Chatrier is a totally different proposition, which we hadn't seen for a while, and that's what this April gave us. It gave us hope as Rafa fans that we were seeing that resurgence. That at certain times, we didn't feel, outside of having blind faith, that the the signs that we were seeing didn't necessarily point to it happening. It gave us great doubts. I would say that Rafa fans, as a whole, are pretty glass half full. Yeah. They're pretty optimistic. And after losing to Cuevas and team in the earlier in In the season... A lot of Rafa fans were still like, oh, those were encouraging losses. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. If that's what you think. But but these wins in April were actually very encouraging. And a lot of people picked him to win Roland Garros. In that Barcelona final you, were, you said he went on to win, he beat Nishikori. Mm-hmm. Which is no small feat in Barcelona because Nishikori had been, I believe, the two-time defending champion. Right. Or Instagram favorite. Pico Monaco? Pico de Gallo? (laughs) Pico de... Hot as fuck! (laughs) He won his first title since uh, 2013. In only his fourth event back from injury. At the uh, US Clay Corps Champs in Houston. That pretty much covers April, right? It's it's all clay all day, every day. Mm. (laughs) Leading into May, where we have... Lucy Shavasheva, she wins Prague. <laughs> and this, she wins a tournament after winning her first singles match of the year at the very same tournament. Right? Mm. She's coming back from injury fine. 
but this was a big deal for her <laughs> at the at the at the time. Halep also, who had been fairly quiet the entire first half of the year, hadn't done a whole lot. Wins her first title in Madrid. She had started with a semifinal in Sydney, but then hadn't been past the quarterfinals in any event before Madrid. Sibolkova continues her climb up the rankings with a final showing in Madrid. This bumps her 12 spots to number 26. So in May, Dummy's at 26. And by the end of October, she's your WTA Finals champion and squarely inside the top mm. 10. No big That's deal. That's not an easy jump. We talk <laughs> about it all the time, about how difficult it is to make that jump from 20 to top 10. Not it, only did mm-hmm. she do the jump from 40s to number 26 by this point in, in May... But then she made it to the top 10 without winning or even going deep at a major. Crazy stuff. So in Madrid, Halep beat Sibolkova 6-2-6-4. And then in Rome, which felt like a, okay, we can breathe kind of moment as Serena fans. Serena beats Madison Keys 7-6-6-3. Serena, who was absent since Miami, she wins Rome without dropping a set. It's her fourth Rome title and 70th title of her career. We also have Hingis and Mirza winning and getting back to their winning ways because at this point they had lost a few tournaments very early. And after winning four titles by early February, they had gone through a barren patch right? where they hadn't won anything and it was starting to get a little bit alarming. <laughs> but still, it's May and you have five titles. Yeah. Like it's not a crappy year. Mm-hmm. I will say that that Rome title was like, listen, if Serena has any plans on winning this French Open title, she's got to come back and win one of these tournaments. And she did. And she gave me a lot of hope at the time that she was really ready to win the French Open. And I'm pretty sure I I picked her. You always pick her. I don't think you've ever not picked Serena. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> Unless she, like, withdrew from the tournament. you Even then, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> now, let me speed through the men's side in May. Uh, so we talked about Diego Schwartzman winning his first title after Grigor Did- Dimitrov just imploded. You mean we talked about it on a previous podcast? Uh, yes. Okay. And... I think Grigor is getting his head right. He's going on safari. He's having people fan him off on a beach and filming it. He's really trying for that thirst trap title. And he may just win it next time we do it. But um, no, Grigor no. is getting his his mental side together, I think. All it takes is one slow-mo booty pop video from Pico Monaco. And it's <laughs> over. Anyway, Djokovic won Madrid for his fifth title beat Murray again in a final. And again, it feels like ho-hum, right? It like, does. Great. What did not feel ho-hum was that Murray beaten at all in the semifinal there. And so for Madrid, that is a good week for Nadal. It's not ideal preparation for the French Open as we know. And I don't think he puts probably as much stock in Madrid versus the more classic venerated tournaments, Rome, Monte Monte Carlo, Carlo. Barcelona. But still, Murray, at this point, is showing himself to be, I mean, he's top four in tennis, fine, Mm. but one of the best clay court players. Right. Which, 
prior to 2015 would have been unheard of. He's been building this clay court pedigree over the past two seasons. He grew up playing on, in, on Spanish clay courts. He did, which is why it was puzzling he yeah. wasn't performing at a higher level. And so there we have it in Rome, in one of the most prestigious, we'll say, courts in all of tennis. He beats Djokovic in the final, 6-3, 6-3. That is one of the most beautiful stadiums and center courts in all of tennis it really is when you see that court photographed at night it's it's something to behold behind wimbledon it's like my number two tennis dream is to go to the rome tournament but you tell me no you don't want to do no vacations that are tennis vacations yeah but if we go to rome that's different (laughs) so murray has established himself as one of the most accomplished clay court players in the men's game uh, he got his first of two wins over Novak on the season. Nishikori made another semifinal in Rome. That made it two semifinals and two finals in the lead-up tournaments to the French Open. And that positioned him really well going into the second major of the year, knowing that he plays well on clay. Important to there, and what makes his achievement even more special, is he'd only lost to two players. And... Of those four losses, three came to Djokovic and one against Nadal, which is nothing to be ashamed about on clay. Another little tidbit, you have Pui making a breakout this year, going from lucky loser in Rome all the way to the semifinals. And of course, you have the Kitty Chiller drama in May as well, which I just really wanted to say the name again, (laughs) because it's wonderful. She is is not wonderful. When I was saying chitter chatter, that's what I was thinking in my head. Kitty chiller chitter chatter. Yeah, you say that on loop five times. I dare you. (laughs) Kitty chiller chitter chatter. Kitty chiller chitter chatter. One more time. Kitty chiller chitter. Kitty chiller chitter chatter. Well, it's harder. Kitty chiller chitter chatter. It's harder for you because you pronounce your T's like an islander. Are we going to leave those in there? Uh, <laughs> All those various yes. Kitty Chiller. See how many people turn it off. <laughs> Kitty Chiller is a good example of one of my favorite vines of all time. That little girl who says, when I'm not around, you want to be like this. Oh my God. But when, <laughs> when I come around, you don't want to post up. <laughs> So, Kitty Chiller... You'd be taking all them... Post up. You'd be taking all them three-point shots. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think that brings us to... No, I have to to put this in, because this is, for me, one of the craziest moments of the year. One of the most underreported crazy moments of the year. Tomasz Berdyk, a top 10 player, loses double bagel to somebody ranked lesser than him. Oh, David Goffin. My lord. And we've seen Goffin play live a couple of times. He doesn't have the game to beat somebody like Berdyk, 6-love, six 6-love. Six I don't know what in the hell was going on that day, but that result, if I'm, I mean, not to cast this person because I don't think that's what happened, but it's the type of result where like, let me go look at those betting spreads because mm-hmm. that is crazy. Mm-mm. I will not comment. Look, I said I don't I do believe that that's what happened. I do not want to be happened. dragged into that slander suit. Well, you know what? Danny Valverdu got the axe for that. I, somebody somebody has to take the fall. Swiftly thereafter. <laughs> and he subsequently ended up for the first time with uh, Dimitrov in Toronto. And I was there for one of those mm-hmm. very first few practices. And wherever Valverdu goes, Andy Murray 
just beats down whoever he's coaching. <laughs> it's it's getting a little petty, Andy, even for me. French Open. Roland Garros. Roland Garros. Which historically is one of our favorite times of the year. It was a horrible tournament. Historic is the key word there. Because right now that's history. <laughs> Tennis in 2016, apart from having all these WTF moments, was littered with deluges and rainstorms and floods. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to carry your rowboat to each tournament so you could paddle your way off center court. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a diluvian. And no, <laughs> nowhere was it worse up to this point than the French show. It was crazy. Do you I, even remember that? I, I do remember that. This you you mentioned that the season had a lot of WTF moments, but the French Open in particular had a lot of FML moments. <laughs> Correct? For my love? <laughs> no. With the rain, the entire day's play on the second Monday was cancelled. And then on the second Tuesday, only two matches were completed. Venus Williams made a surprise second run week in Paris. It was her first time since 2010 that she had made the fourth round. Mm -hmm. And she ended up losing to Tamiya Bichinsky, who has a good track record at this point playing well at the French Open. Shelby Rogers. I had to double check this again. Check my sources because A, I don't have any recollection of it. Mm -hmm. And B, it just didn't seem like something that could have happened. (laughs) (laughs) She made the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. But it wasn't no fluke because she beat Pliskova, she beat Viznina, she beat Kvitova, and she beat Begu, who'd had a pretty decent year up to that point. And then she ends up losing to, spoiler alert, the eventual champion Muguruza in the quarterfinals. Varvara Lepchenko entered the French Open with rumors swirling above her head off the back of the Sharapova suspension. There was all this talk that she herself was serving a silent ban for Meldonium as well. And so she gets to Roland Garros and she's asked about it explicitly in her press conference and she repeatedly offers no comment. It's the kind of thing where it's like, did you take Meldonium? No comment. Did you do the no comment? Like I said, no comment. And it was like, okay, girl, <laughs> we, get, we like, get it. I choose to invoke my Fifth Amendment right <laughs> Vika, who may or may not have been pregnant at this point, <laughs> she loses first round to Karen Knapp uh, with a knee injury, and it was really tough to watch. She comes in as one of the big favorites, mm-hmm. especially after the year that she's had thus far, and she ends up leaving the court in tears, and it ended up being her last appearance on tour, because we come to find out that Miss Azarenka is with child. Yeah. She was like, I got something to tell y'all. You're never going to guess it. (laughs) And truly, if any of you guessed it, you deserve something. Like prize money. (laughs) Sam Stozer had her best Grand Slam showing since 2012, matching her then semifinal showing. Both of these coming at Roland Garros. Kiki Burton's another bust-out moment <laughs> at this tournament. She reaches her first slam semifinal, but loses to Serena 7-6-6-4. Hingisen and Pays, Linda Pays and Martina Hingis, they continue their mixed doubles dominance. At this point, they had completed a career Grand Slam 
in mixed doubles all in the span of 18 months. Because <laughs> why not? Caroline Garcia and Christina Medenovich, one of the more heartwarming moments of the event, they win the doubles crown on home turf. We see that video leaked of Serena and Kiki Mladenovic in the locker room after Serena beats her in the third round. And that's one of the best moments oh of the God, year. Oh my God, that made me so happy to see that. It was, oh Because Kiki's telling Serena, you know, you're my idol. I've been watching you since I was little. Serena's hugging her. It was just very tender and seemed so sincere. Then we get to the final. And after Serena, you could say, well, she had a blip in Australia. She wins Rome. She gets back to the final in in Paris. You think, okay, well, this is time to rectify. Time to self-correct mm-hmm. the situation. <laughs> right? You just can't really fathom Serena losing two slam finals back to back like that. Mm-hmm. This after what had happened in Flushing Meadows, mind you. At the previous Grand Slam, where she loses to Vinci in, in the semifinals. And we like to forget that that ever happened. <laughs> but I I can't. And yeah, Muguruza beats her. Straight sets. 7-5, 6-4. She wins her first Slam title. Her th- only her third WTA title. And her first ever title on clay. And it moves her to world number two. And then we get to deal with all this tennis drivel narrative like yes the anointed savior again finally savior (laughs) 7.0 save us from serena (laughs) i mean muguruza playing like that in the final there really aren't that many people who are going to beat her which is why she has the hype she's got tons of games she does because at her best she scares me because i'm not really a fan and i i want someone to beat her (laughs) You also can't fathom living through a Jokovirian era. <laughs> what are these suffixes? <laughs> of Mugurutha. No, I know? can't. A Mugurutan era. No. A Muguruzan. No, a Muguruthan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I refuse. I will not live through that era. Should I knock on wood? <laughs> I don't think much more needs to be said. About no, the French Open because on the woman's side. Muguruza didn't really say much with her playing for the rest of the year. You are one shady bitch. No. Let me... You're not even going to acknowledge it? No. <laughs> now, onto the men's side of Roland Garros. Nadal looked to be in really good form going into this tournament. He was one of the favorites. He was many people's favorite. And there he goes. He withdraws after winning his second round match because of this wrist injury. I remember people saying, oh, Nadal has called a press conference. Like, what, 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 what? No. Like, that can't be good. And like, no, stop. Don't, (laughs) like, why? Why? This has been a very difficult two years (sighs) as Rafa fans. Like, double success is not enough. Okay? (laughs) No, it's not. It's cool. It's cute and everything. (laughs) But no, that's not what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) The wrist injury was something that came out of left field for me. And it's one of those It wasn't things, your typical no, Rafa injury. No, And then you're like, well, we know what wrist injuries give. Mm-hmm. Juan Martin Del Potro, hello. Right. But Rafa insisted that this would be a short layoff, that he wanted to play the Olympics. And like Federer, he probably came back too early because he wanted to play there. He won doubles, uh, but he really closed up shop for the rest of the year after that. 
So with Nadal out, it really seemed inevitable to me that Djokovic was going to win his first French Open. And I know you said at the time it wasn't a foregone conclusion because we said that last year or the previous year with Varinka winning. But I mean, there was some other, I guess, mildly interesting stuff that went on during the tournament. <laughs> Unfortunately, Songer retired in the third round with an injury. He was a semifinalist a year before that. In tears again, just like Vika. It was so right. sad. Dominic Team made his first big splash at a major, reaching the semifinals. And he lost uh, pretty easily to Djokovic, but most people do. It, it was <laughs> going for too much all the time, spraying mm. balls all over the place. Couldn't really get a handle of the moment. Which is totally expected in your first go of it, right? Yes. Against someone like yeah. Djokovic. On that kind of run. But if, you like me, and you, and so many other people, <laughs> you were looking for that big fairy tale upset. And you're like, okay, well, if Rafa can't win, then yeah, baby team, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, I was just not seeing it. No, well, yeah, this is wishful <laughs> thinking, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, that was a, a, a bit of a letdown. Defending champion Stan Wawrinka reached the semis, lost to Murray. Murray got to his first Roland Garros final. No, Not a bad showing for Stan in the title defense. No, no, not really. He's a reliable semi-finalist now at majors. Mm -hmm. I've been following David Goffin all year, and part of my interest has been piqued by watching him live quite a bit. I watched him against Mofis on the grandstand in Toronto. I was able to watch his practice from... Uh, a stand above the practice courts in Toronto where he just practiced backhand after backhand after backhand and I stood there watching it face front and it's gorgeous and so I've I mean I'm still not a big fan of his but I find his progress I've been following his progress put it that way and in that quarterfinal match where he lost to Dominic team the winner of that match was guaranteed their first top 10 berth and Goffin has been stuck at number 11 pretty much ever since. <laughs> he ended the year <laughs> right. at number 11. It was quite a, kind of a cruel twist of fate for him. And in totally unsurprising news, if you've been following, Djokovic won the French Open, his non-calendar year Grand Slam, his career Grand Slam, four majors in a row. He looked to be totally unstoppable. At the same time, Andy Murray was in his 10th final in a Grand Slam, losing eight of them. And so it was still an encouraging result for Andy. And well, it seemed to be he was getting better and better on clay, but he was still Djokovic's foil, but his unsuccessful foil. And having lost five Slam finals to Djokovic at that point, fine, he'd beaten him twice. Those two that he had won were against Djokovic at Wimbledon and the US Open, but five losses in slam finals to the same person gets a little bit <laughs> repetitive and you know cumbersome <laughs> it does get a little bit boring for us too but if you're going to lose to anyone in slam finals it might as well be Djokovic Murray has... the, the losing fit in with his miserable demeanor as well <laughs> I feel like if Murray had taken steps to just be more cheery on court rather than sarcastic and miserable and muttering and devouring of his player box 
I don't if he know. were if he were less dour and sour on court, maybe those losses wouldn't fit him so well. Mm, oh, oh, not that he wouldn't lose, but Correct. that yeah. it wouldn't feel like his his destiny. Yeah. Okay, because I feel it's like kind of a at, the, at that point it felt like a a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yes, largely owed to Djokovic's brilliance. Right. But Murray had his moments within a lot of those matches. And inexplicably, he went away at times. And we, we'd be watching some of the... Uh, most times in Australia, right? You were like, what are you doing yeah. right now? Let's actually get back to that in our next recap. Because I think the second half of the year puts a different... Sheds a different light on the attitude issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shall we end the episode with a bit of chiller news? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we? Because... <laughs> We need to rake Miss Chiller over what the is coals her, one more time. What's her title again? The chief ombudsman? No, no, she's the the chef. She the chef. The chef. Du, e- chef extraordinaire. Chef du de mission. Equipe or some no, shit. Something like oh chef yeah, de chef mission. de mission. Yeah. Of the because I mean everyone needs one, I guess. She's the mission chef of the <laughs> Australian Olympic team. Yes, the mission chef. <laughs> and. She wrote this four-page letter by Aaliyah to... <laughs> no, actually, it was 16. It was a four-squared-page letter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the math joke. Addressed to Mr. Nick Kyrgios, asking him to explain and enumerate his sins. Now, let me tell you. Confess. We are no big fans of Kyrgios, but at that point, if I receive that letter, I'm like, girl, bye. Like, who do you think you is? Right. He showed remarkable restraint, not tweeting about it, not... I mean, he did... He can't help but tweet. But for him, it was a a muted response. (sighs) He must have had some coaching because I would have went off. Uh, You know what? Just, like, uh, forego this Olympic, which turned out for a lot of people to be a big ol' bust... It did. And go make some money elsewhere. And he chose not to go. He chose not to get robbed at a gas station. Oh, wait, that was made up, right? Ah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> he chose not to maybe draw one Martin Del Potro in the first round. Yeah, he, he could have really saved Novak Djokovic's year, if you think about it. <laughs> it was really evil. He chose not to seesaw with Madison and Serena. In the Olympic Village. I mean, I wouldn't miss that for the world. So this is the first half of the season. Let us know if you managed to stick with us through the end of this first half. Let us know the stuff that felt surprising to you hearing the second time around. Tell us if there's something that we overlooked or really forgot. Something really major that we didn't talk about. And then early next week, maybe, we'll have the second part of this uh, recap. Yeah. And you know, this season was a slog and we're very method. So we are slogging away Mm -hmm. here and we We want you to really feel the fatigue, (laughs) feel the weight of tennis in 2016. (laughs) Plus, we don't always get so methodical with our preparation and execution of these podcasts. Right. It's a lot more big picture, theoretical kind of thematic stream of consciousness. Yes. A lot of riff raffing. Wow. Chitter-chatter, riff-raff. <laughs> On that note, thanks for listening. 
Find us on Twitter at the Body Serve. Find me on Twitter at Elliot JMR. I'm James, by the way. I'm Jonathan on Twitter at at Sportscribe CA. At at. Uh huh. <laughs> Don't at him. You can at me. Just you know, be nice. Yeah, keep it cute. We are always thirsty for those iTunes reviews. Keep it five star. Keep it nice. Keep it cute. Bring and- that levity. <laughs> Another A-plus Mariah reference here. You're just killing it with the references today. Thank you. Till next time.